Welcome to Bethel Brandon Sunday Message. Please head over to our website, BethelBrandon.ca, to figure out how we can best serve you. To today's message, which is this, living water, living faith. Question is, is your faith living? That's kind of the question we ask as we are kind of going through our journal, our journal, our journey uh, through the book of, of John. We're in chapter 7, and, uh, and Jesus, uh, in the midst of, of, of John chapter 7, i kind of been kind of taking big blocks of Scripture. I wanted to focus on three today because I believe that they are the essence of what Jesus is talking about in this, this chapter, which is like 53 verses, there's three that kind of stand out. And it's one of those things, it's one of those passages where if you don't know exactly what was taking place, I think that we are 2,000 years removed from what had really happened at that time. And sometimes we kind of, we kind of goes by us. We kind of read it and we don't even realize what is happening. Is your faith flowing? Is it living? Can other people see the vitality is your life a reservoir or is it a river? Is it flowing? Because a flowing faith, I believe, is a contagious faith. A flowing faith makes other people thirsty. That's an important thing. It's an important question to ask ourselves. What is the state of your faith? And your, if your answer is not one that you're satisfied with, what are we doing about it? We need to be asking ourselves, what are we doing to encourage our faith to go forward, to, to go ahead? And there's different types of faith, I guess, as the scriptures talk about. You know, there, there's James, when he's in scripture, uh, he says, you know, faith without works is dead. There is a dead faith. If all it is is about the talk and it doesn't produce a walk, is dead faith. There are other faiths that I see as well, and perhaps you have as well. I just kind of sat down and said, what kind of different faith do I see? Sometimes I see a detained faith. It's faith that's kind of held back, and, and God would like for you to be here, and for some reason you're at the back, but somehow faith, sometimes fear or anxiety kind of holds us back, and our faith gets detained, and, and God wants us to break through. Or maybe it's damaged faith. Something happened. Something took place. God didn't answer a prayer the way he, he wanted to or or something just took in place, and, and somehow your faith just needs a repair. Maybe there are, those, there are those people who have what is called a dampened faith. And it wasn't that anything good or bad has happened. It's just that your faith has been unattended. It used to be a fire, and you know the way fires are. Fires eventually go out if you're not continually stoking the fire, if you're not continually adding wood. And, and maybe what has happened is that life has gone on to the point where your faith has been dampened and it's a bunch of glowing embers and you need the Holy Spirit to breathe life into your faith. Maybe, maybe that's something that represents you. There's a reason why Timothy's, uh, Paul says to Timothy, fan into flame the gift of God. And uh, there, hey, there's the do-nothing faith, the faith that is content to do nothing. Yeah, I know my faith is where it is, but I don't really want to do anything at this time. I don't know. Sometimes we go through those times. If there was a flow chart, you know, we're supposed to have a flowing faith. If there was a flow chart, where would you be in that flow chart? And how, maybe more importantly, how anxious are you to change it? God, give us fresh wind, fresh fire, fresh faith. Are you with me? 
That's true. This is something which is important. And so, like last week, we, we went through the whole book of John, or so whole, so whole chapter of John, chapter 7. It was 53 verses, and we talked about the different types of opposition that Jesus faced. And if you, you want to hear it, it's online. You can kind of go back and, and figure out what was, was kind of taking place. We were talking about just the different oppositions. And, and the, 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 verse, the chapter of John, chapter 7, ends with a whole bunch of irony. Some things that were kind of, this is what was said, but actually it was different. Like, like the, the temple guard were instructed by the, the religious leaders at that time, said, go arrest Jesus. And they were arresting him for what he said. And then they came back and said, why didn't you arrest him? Well, words he had have life. We, had, we haven't heard anybody speak with such authority. And so they go to arrest him for the words he says, but they become arrested by the words that he said. Right? And they sat there and says, anybody who believes this guy is accursed, but in reality, they were the ones who were being accursed. And then at the end, they say this, are you some kind of fool? Everybody knows that no prophet comes from Galilee. But Jonah came from Galilee. And Hosea came from Galilee. And Nahum came from Galilee. And it, it was just sort of ironic that what they were saying was the opposite of what was true. And sometimes we face those moments in our life as well. But if you want to know the true essence of chapter 7, you need to know about what is called the Feast of Tabernacles. And so the, the passage in, in, in um, John chapter 7, verses 37 to 39, begins to give us some kind of clue as to what was taking place and a powerful moment that had taken place. Now, the Feast of Tabernacles was one of three pilgrimage feasts that they had in Jerusalem amongst the Jewish people. And a pilgrimage feast was, was that, that people were required or encouraged to travel to Jerusalem for this particular festival. Two of them, Passover and Pentecost, were in the spring. Now, all of a sudden, you're into the Feast of Tabernacles, and it takes place in the fall. The word tabernacles actually means booths, Feast of Booths. And, and so what had happened, just to kind of give you an idea as to what was taking place at this time as Jesus was talking, was the Feast of Tabernacles. And what would happen was people would build these little booths. They would kind of be made out of leaves, and they'd be made out of branches, and they would make these little forts. Now, when you have hundreds of thousands of people, you would have many, many, many forts. And, and this would be something that I think that the kids would absolutely love because it was like you're going out and camping for a week. And so what happened was they would kind of have these many of them. Now, you know the way this is. There are those people who just have the basic booth. I'm just going to put the booth together. And then there are those people who have imagination, Right? And they kind of add to the booth. And so as you walk through Jerusalem and on the outskirts of Jerusalem, you saw these basic booths, but you saw these ones that were just like, wow. People just kind of those, those uh, what would you call engineers or architects or whatever, putting these elaborate booths together. You can just kind of see it. It was, it was the most joyous time. And, and I'd heard about these booths that, that many of them, they wanted you to have the, the opening, an opening at the top. And the reason that they wanted you to have an opening was so that you could see the stars in the sky. Because the Feast of Tabernacles commemorated two things, basically. 
in a general sense, it was the time of thanksgiving. It would be the festival, it would be the time that would be the most familiar with thanksgiving for us. It was in the fall. The harvest had come in. We want to thank God for the harvest. But even more so, the Feast of Tabernacles was something which represented the fact that God had kept us during a time when the, the people were traveling around in the wilderness and he supplied food and he supplied water and he supplied a cloud by day and a fire by night. And in the process of everything that goes on, it is representative of the fact that there is a God who cares for me. Even in the midst of the time that even though because of disobedience they were there, God still cared for them. And so this is what it represented. It was the most joyous of all of them. And you're saying, what is so big about the, the Feast of Tabernacles? doesn't really matter to us. But if you read Zechariah chapter 14, verse 6, it says this, that during Christ's millennial reign, we will be celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles. So when Christ has been glorified and there's that thousand-year period, we are going to be celebrating that day. Isn't that interesting? So there's something, there's something incredible about it. The other thing about the Feast of Tabernacle was this, was that the temple courts, the upper level where the courts of the temple were up high on the mountain, were illuminated during the whole time. The, the festival took place seven days and an extra day. It was like actually eight days. And there was a time uh, during times of the Feast of Tabernacle where they would take in their right hand a number of branches. It was called lalav. One was a palm branch, the other was a myrtle, the other was a willow branch, and it represented stages of the journey. In the left hand, there was a citrus fruit. And at certain times during the festival, they would wave these in thanksgiving. There was also a hugely important element of the Feast of Tabernacles, which I think ties into what we're talking about today. Every single day during the Feast of Tabernacles, one of the priests would take a golden pitcher and they would leave the temple and they would walk the long walk down to the bottom of the hill to the Pool of Siloam and they would draw water from the Pool of Siloam. And they would travel up and there would be a whole crowd that would follow them in the whole process of doing this. Once they got to the top of the temple, he would be met with also with an individual who would have a container of wine. And so what they would do is they would come to the temple altar and there would be a time of silence. There would be the blowing of the shafar, that big horn that we kind of see, that weird looking horn. And the people would recite together Isaiah chapter 12, verse 3. What's Isaiah chapter 12, verse 3? It's this. Therefore... With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Every single day, that's what they would quote when the water was poured on the altar. The eighth day, the last day, the same procedure was followed. But when they got to the top of the mountain to the altar, they would circle the altar seven times. Well, why would they do that? Well, it represented the first major city that they took once the 40-year sojourn was over, and that would be Jericho. Remember the story of Jericho? And so what they would do is they would travel around the altar seven times. There would be a time of silence, and then they would quote that passage 
again, Isaiah chapter 12, verse 3. Therefore, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. So with that in mind, let's read John chapter 7, verse 37. On the last day, the great day of the feast, day 8 that we just talked about, Jesus stood and cried out saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But he spoke this concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus has not been yet glorified. Isn't that interesting? There are many commentators, and we really don't know exactly for sure, but it would certainly make sense. But there are many commentators who believed that at that moment when they were about to pour the water on the altar on the last day, that that was the time, and it says, Jesus cried out. Just as that was about to happen, Jesus says this, I am the river of life. You know, this is, this is what it is all about. And this was such a powerful, powerful moment at the time of the Feast of Tabernacles, in the midst of all the drama that was going on, Jesus proclaimed something extremely special. And there's some interesting things about this that I wanted to at least share about. The first thing is this, that it was symbolic. That people, when they heard that, while what was happening was happening, they could not look past what Jesus was actually saying at that time. And what Jesus was saying was this, that everything that you celebrate about the Feast of Tabernacles is embodied in my life and what I am doing for you. Everything that this is about, this is who I am. This is what you're doing, that God, that God cares. Not only that, but he carries you. That God doesn't leave us, that God provides for us even when we mess up. That, that they have these temporary dwellings. You know what? These bodies that we are in, they are temporary dwellings. And in the midst of the wilderness, when you're not too sure what's going on, I just want to tell you that I'm there. And that there's nothing too difficult for me. And I am going to be with you through whatever you are going through, be it as difficult and as hard as and as impossible as you think that it is. And that's why Zechariah 14, verse 6 says, we're going to observe this during the thousand-year reign of Christ. And Jesus cries it out at the height of their awareness when they're said to observe this. This is when he says it. So the question is, how are you doing in whatever wilderness you are going through? Have you realized that Jesus is enough? That not only does he care for you, but he carries you, despite the fact that you may have messed up, despite the fact that there are things in your life that perhaps shouldn't be there, and, and the fact that you struggle every single day, you can lay down your head and realize that there is a God who cares for you. Amen? 
Remember the story, for those of you who've been Christians for any length of time, there's that, that poem which is called Footsteps. You know, many of us kind of had it hanging on our wall, and it was the story of a, a person who died and gone to heaven, and, and there were certain episodes of their life that they were looking at, and, and there was times where there was, there was the person walking, and then, there was, and then there was Jesus' footsteps. You couldn't see Jesus, but you could, you could see his footsteps, and the fact that Jesus was with him. Remember that? And then there was a section of the journey in the lowest part of the, of the valley of their lives where all of a sudden there's one set of footprints. Remember the story? And they say, hey, well, God, what's with that? You know, you're not with me in, these, in, in the, the, the hardest time. I'm just kind of alone. All there is is just one set of footprints. And he says, you don't understand. Those aren't your footprints. Those are my footprints. The, fa- the fact that God carries you. And this is exactly what Jesus was trying to say. And I'm not too sure what you face and what conclusion you come to as to whether God is more than enough. But I'll tell you this, that he is more than enough. More than enough to save you. More than enough to deliver you. More than enough to provide for you. More than enough to carry you. And maybe at this time, he's carrying you. And he says this. He says, there is a river that flows. Nobody can take it away. Which brings us to the next point, which is this. Not only was it symbolic, it was talking about satisfying thirst. And for those of us who have kind of been following along in this passage, this should not be unfamiliar to us. Because if you look in John chapter 4, he's talking to the Samaritan woman. He's saying this, you can draw water from that well, but I've got water from you which will quench your thirst forever. And if you take a look at John chapter 6, he says, I'm the bread of life. If you eat from me, you don't have to eat again. You won't be thirsty again. He just keeps on talking about thirst. John just keeps on hammering that message home. I don't know. Why would he do that? Because I think thirst represents something important to us. And the reason that we don't really get it is because I don't know if any of us in today's culture have ever been thirsty. Have you ever been really thirsty? There have been times where I've been thirsty, but come to realize that maybe I wasn't as thirsty as people who were actually thirsty are. I hear that it's probably one of the most difficult and excruciating ways to die, to die of, of thirst. There was a um, uh, theological scholar, his name was um, Kenneth Bailey, in one of his writings he talks about as he was, uh, he was in the Middle East uh, doing and teaching in, in Bible colleges and that, he says, as they were in Egypt, they took this, this trip deep into the Sahara Desert and they wanted to, to go to this one particular location And so as they were traveling, he said this. It was 110 degrees Fahrenheit in the shade. The problem is, in the desert, there is no shade. And so as we were going along, we extended ourselves deep into this journey. And as we were drinking, because it was so hot, we pulled out the last a uh, great big vat of, of water. It was a goatskin thing that was just a big thing full of water, but they didn't realize that this last source of supply of water had leaked out. And so 
He said, we weren't too sure what to do. We were too far into the journey to go back. And the, one, of the, one of the people who was the guides basically said that there is a, a well which is named Bershaiton. And it is a day and a half journey away. And it pretty well has water in it all the time. I don't know. That term pretty well kind of scares me, does it not? And so what happens is they go a day and a half in 110 degree Fahrenheit weather. And he says, as I began to go, my mouth became dry. He said, my mouth became so dry that I couldn't eat. And the reason that I couldn't eat is because whenever I swallowed, it was like two pieces of sandpaper rubbing together. He said, all of a sudden, my vision became blurry. And simple tasks that I had, I could no longer do. And we got to the point where we weren't too sure if we were going to be able to make it. And he began to realize that if he didn't, all they were going to do is leave us there to die because they were going to have to do whatever they could to live as well. And they made it. Whew. And he said, from that time, every time I have heard a scripture about being thirsty, it has changed me. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, he thinks back to that. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. If anyone is thirsty, let them come to me and out will flow rivers of living I think the problem is for us is that I'm not too sure if we know what thirsty means. How thirsty are we? Or do we have so much to rely on that, that, that we subsequent that thirst for something else? See, this whole passage of Scripture, John 38, basically talks, there's four words. First, first one is this, is anyone? Then it goes to thirst. Then it says come. Then it says drink. Anyone's a big word there, don't you think? Wasn't just for the Jewish people. Wasn't just for the males. Wasn't just for the particular culture. It was anyone. And anyone is everyone. So when he makes that statement, he is making a broad declaration to any person who wants to come to him. Then the first thing is thirst. Thirst is the primary thing. If you're not thirsty, you will not come. If you are not interested in Jesus, the reason for that is because you are not thirsty. Makes sense, does it not? And so God calls us to this level of thirst. And all of a sudden, you come to that level first. You realize that I desperately need God. There's a story in Acts chapter 16 where there's a jailer and there's an earthquake and everyone is about to leave and he finds out that he is saved and he falls at their feet and says, what must I do to receive eternal life? That is a thirsty statement. And it doesn't stop with thirst. All of a sudden, you have to come. You need to do something about the thirst. You need to come to Christ. You need to do something about it in a way where you know where the source is. And then you have to drink. To drink it in. Interesting, isn't it? The appropriate step the problem we have to ask ourselves is this. How thirsty am I? 
Was there a time in my life, in my faith, where I was just so thirsty for the things of God and for some reason that has left and, and we have to come to a point as we go ahead in a day where it's becoming more and more difficult to serve Jesus and to make our stand for Jesus, to be thirsty for him. Amen? First thing was that it's symbolic. The other thing was that it satisfied thirst. Maybe amongst the most important thing was this, that it was spirit-driven. It was about the Holy moving and working and touching people's lives. It's interesting how water represents the Holy Spirit. Oil represents the Holy Spirit. Wind represents the Holy Spirit. Fire represents the Holy Spirit. And it's something about the Spirit that takes something which is dead and makes it alive. Something which is stagnant and makes it flowing. And when we take a look at what the Holy Spirit does, it not just brings meaning to your life, it brings more to your life. Life to the fullest. And not only does it bring more to your life, it brings maximum power to your life. If you read Acts chapter 1 verse 8, you know what it says? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes unto you. That Greek word for power is dunamis. And that word dunamis basically means dynamite. You will have dynamite. It gives you maximum power. Not only that, it makes you, puts you in motion. You're going to be witnesses. You're going to go out. You're going to be active. There's going to be something which takes place. The only M word that the Holy Spirit does not agree with is mediocre. Holy Spirit does not lead to a mediocre life. Why do we settle living in mediocrity when we have the power of God residing in us? My only guess is that sometimes we get content with the stuff that doesn't quench. And even though you may know Jesus and even though you may follow Jesus, you go through thirsty periods based on the fact that you're not drawing from the river of God you're drawing from your success. You're drawing from your job. You're drawing from your relationships. You're drawing from all those things that Jesus has said. Hey, you're going to drink again. You're going to continue to be thirsty. Today there's a football game that's going to take place that billions of people are going to, to watch. And, and uh, it doesn't matter who is going to win. There's going to be a team that's going to win. There's going to be a team that's going to lose. And people are going to celebrate. They're going to lift up some trophy in the air. They're going to do whatever party they have. And then they're going to get up the next day and they're going to say, is that all that there is? Because you can reach the highest echelon in whatever area that you are a professional in. And once you reach it, you will realize that eventually you become thirsty again because the Holy Spirit works deeply in our lives. What it does is it kind of reveals to us that there are really three different types of faith. The first, the first one is what I will call frivolous faith. It is that faith that makes you be, be able to believe in God, but it doesn't take you anywhere else. You don't really believe in God. It is just the thing that, that makes you realize that he exists. Again, James says, hey, the devil believes in God, right? And there's that level of faith that says, well, I believe in God, but I'm not going to put my life to the fact. 
There's another level which I will call foundational faith. And that is the faith that says, I'm going to ask Jesus, and Jesus is going to come into my life, and I'm going to be aware of the fact that I have given him uh, and take the, the gift of salvation that he has given me. And there are a lot of people who do that. But that's where it ends. Just ends with the fact that you have made a commitment to Jesus, and it never goes any further. But the faith and the flowing that Jesus is talking is about flowing faith. It is a faith that is contagious. It is a faith that is empowered by the Holy Spirit. It is a faith that is vibrant, contagious, joyous. It is a faith that not just fills your thirst, but it makes other people thirsty. Flowing people are possessed with the love and peace and joy of Jesus. And you don't become a reservoir. You become a flowing river where the word of God doesn't just exist in you, it extends to those people around you. And if we read on in John, in John chapters 14 to 17, he begins to talk in depth about this Holy Spirit. And as we go on in Scripture, we realize that there is a baptism in the Holy Spirit that is available to all of us, that extends past the Holy Spirit that we receive. When you ask Jesus into your life as Pentecostals, these are the things that we call on. And perhaps you're here, and you've never been baptized in the Holy Spirit. You've never been able to, 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 uh, to experience the fullness of God. There is an opportunity that you have today for God to be able to do that in our lives. So the question we are left to ask ourselves with is this. When was the last time you have had a drink from the fountain of God? The best thing about this passage is this. Is that there is no expiry date. Oh, well, that happened 2,000 years ago, Pastor. I'm sure that that's kind of run out. I'm sure that contract is gone. Well, no. What he said 2,000 years ago applies for our lives today. If anyone's thirsty, let them come to me and drink. And I don't know where you are in your faith or where you are in the wilderness or maybe your faith has been dampened or maybe it has been damaged or maybe it's been tamed, detained. I'm not too sure where you are, but one thing that I do know as a pastor and the one thing I proclaim to you through the word of God, not through me, through the word of God is this, that there is a river that God calls us to that we can drink from. Are you thirsty this morning? I don't care what anyone else thinks. You shouldn't be worried about what else is going on. I say by the Spirit of God, I say through the Holy Spirit, I call out to any single person who is here today, any single person who may not be here today but is listening online, are you thirsty? And what are you going to do about it? God, I just pray for the presence of the Holy Spirit to move at this particular time. I just pray for the power of God to move and and uh, God, I can just be obedient to preach the word of God. I can't fulfill a thirst. Only you can. But for the many of us who are here, I'm sure that there are those 
for saying, listen, God, I am thirsty for you. I remember a time where the, where the river flowed through me and for some reason it just isn't and I just need more of God. I need the power of God to flow through me. I need the sense of the Spirit of God moving in my life. I am thirsty. God, I come to you. Father, give me some of this water so that I might again have the life that you have called me to. I say this and I pray this in the authority of the Holy Spirit upon any single person who is here today to come and drink. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand at this time. Let's pray a blessing upon each and every one of you, each and every family who is here today. Pray for the power of God to work and move in your life. Every single person. Uh, every young adult, every senior, God. Lord, allow the presence of God to move in our midst right now in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this message. If you enjoyed it, please head over to BethelBrandon.ca to listen to our older messages or maybe connect with us and figure out how we can best serve you. Thanks for listening. Have a great day.